How's it going, Mark? Doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. I spoke it took, with... It, it, took a, it took a couple of podcast producers to get you to come out and Apparently, join us. Yeah. Nice. Um, I don't... I don't... Am I on this team, Marty? Do I have a team? A team. Yes. We could split up if you would prefer, but... I want to play with you. It's a Wednesday evening, a few minutes after 8 p.m., and I'm in Santa Monica on the west side of Los Angeles. You got us a spot? Okay. Should I quickly say hello to some of our friends? Buzzword, what's going on? Good to see you. I've just walked into a crowded bar a few blocks from the beach with two of my producers in tow. Are you here in an official producerial capacity? I guess so, yeah. Um, That's a fancy little recording device you have there. Those are my friends drawing attention to our recording equipment. They're ribbing me, but it is true. I've been here many times, but up until now, never with a microphone. There he is. Hey. Is this, good to see you. Uh, good to see you too. You're gonna you're gonna have to come by uh, later. Philippe's on his way. He's gonna want okay. to say hi. Okay. Okay. Yes, I will come by. This is O'Brien's Irish Pub at 2226 Wilshire Boulevard in Santa Monica. In almost every way, it's a typical bar. When you walk in, you see a long bar top. There's lots of wood paneling along the walls. People are huddled around high top tables, packed into leather booths along the edges of the room, ordering burgers and fries or fish and chips. But tonight is Wednesday and groups are consolidating into teams, getting ready for what seems like a typical trivia night. Well, Except for one thing. Uh, Hi, I'm Rob Salerno. Uh, I was on Jeopardy four years ago, and I won a game, and uh, it was the best day of my life. (laughs) My name's Lynn Yu. I was on Jeopardy on season 36, which was Alex Trebek's final season. I'm Jeff Richmond. I was on the show in season five, a mere 35 years ago. Uh, my name is C. Robert Dimitri. I was on Jeopardy five years ago. I won one game. I lost one game. It was a lot of fun. That's all. Yes, you heard that correctly. Almost every person around me, they've all been on Jeopardy. O'Brien's has a reputation of being the place that Jeopardy alums go, or if you're in town to tape Jeopardy, you should come to this because it's you know the toughest pub quiz in town. In the last few decades, O'Brien's has become a gathering ground for former champs. We'll hear more about that in a bit. But what you need to know now is that a big group of Jeopardy! alumni regularly attend O'Brien's Wednesday Night Pub Quiz, and I am one of them. See, being on Jeopardy! is unforgettable, and it's hard to describe, really, until you've made your way on and off of stage 10. You could even say it takes a certain kind of person. I think everyone here possesses a level of nerdiness that is not often found in, you know, in society. And sometimes you kind of keep that part of yourself a little bit hidden away and you kind of conform to whatever the norm is. For many of us, a love of Jeopardy is deeply rooted going back generations. Yeah, so my grandpa was on the 91 seniors tournament. Uh, He came in second place on it. Um, the headline in our local paper after that was local man loses, uh, which is the, you know, the best way to celebrate, a anyone. To be clear, not everyone at O'Brien's has been on Jeopardy yet. A few are still waiting to get the call. Hi, my name is Allison Betts and I'm currently in the Jeopardy pool. Um, I have been since June of this year and this is my 
third time swimming in the pool. So hopefully this is the time that I finally make it onto the stage. For others, Jeopardy! is just one game show they've appeared on among many. I've been on 10 game shows. Joker's Wild, Sail the Century, Break the Bank, um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, Greed. Uh, PBS had a uh, science show called Nova, a Scattergories, and that dumb one, Hollywood Connection. That's probably, that's probably 10. So, yeah, that's my resume. Whether you're a Jeopardy! champion or hopeful, a game show regular, or just someone who enjoys trivia, O'Brien's is the place to be this Wednesday night. I'm your host, Buzzy Cohen, and from Sony Music Entertainment and Sony Pictures TV, this is Jeopardy!, the story of America's favorite quiz show. This week, the smartest trivia players in the country get together and write their own pub quiz. Factors ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. When my schedule gets busy, it's nice to have pre-prepared, chef-created, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to my door. With over 35 different options a week to choose from and over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy with Factor. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 and use code Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. That's code Jeopardy50 at factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. In 2017, after I won the Tournament of Champions, I went to O'Brien's for the very first time. Actually, two other Jeopardy champs, really Jeopardy legends, invited me. Pam Mueller, and Jerome Verrett. O'Brien's quickly became part of my weekly routine. At the time, I was traveling a lot for work, and I would get home late enough that my wife and kids were already asleep or going to bed. So oftentimes, I would just go straight to O'Brien's from the airport. Over the years, I built a ton of great memories at O'Brien's. For example, one time I played on a team with Alan Lynn and Austin Rogers, my former competitors from the finals of the 2017 Tournament of Champions. The first time that we had met, we were on the Jeopardy stage together, duking it out for $250,000. But that time at O'Brien's, we played on the same team. And embarrassingly, we came in third place. For many of us, O'Brien's is like common ground. It's the place contestants can come together, face old foes again, except this time as friends. Hi, my name is Pam Mueller. To tell the story of O'Brien's, I first need to introduce you to Pam Mueller. I was first on Jeopardy in 2000, and I've been back for several tournaments since then. Several tournaments? That's kind of an understatement. Pam first won the college championship when she was still a teenager, and she's also competed in two Tournament of Champions, the Battle of the Decades and the All-Star Team Games. Like many of us, Pam was a Jeopardy fan long before she played the game. 
Jeopardy airs in the middle of the afternoon in Chicago, so it was a great after-school activity. I would sometimes watch at my friend's house because her dad was really into it. Um, And they also had the Jeopardy game for the Nintendo, which I thought was pretty cool. When Pam tried out for the college championship, she was majoring in psychology at Loyola University in Chicago. In those days, you had to send Jeopardy a postcard to get called in for an audition. Details are a little blurry more than 20 years later, but... If I had to guess... I would say that I probably had like an X-Files postcard from like the X-Files convention. And I probably sent that because I feel like the X-Files was a big part of my personality in that era. Jury is still out on whether Pam is more of a Dana Scully or Fox Mulder. The night before the audition, Pam drove from Chicago to St. Louis with her mom. They went out for a dinner of toasted ravioli. And in the morning, Pam looked at the outfit in her suitcase. It's like a little lavender twin set uh, with like flowers around the neck uh, and like a black skirt. But I realized that I had not packed any shoes to match. I just had like the gym shoes I'd worn yesterday. I was like, oh no, am I going to wear gym shoes with this outfit? Or am I going to borrow a pair of my mom's like sandals that she's wearing, but her feet are like three sizes bigger than mine. So I went with a three sizes too big sandals (laughs) and just like, you know, tried not to walk very much when I was at the audition. Shout out to Pam's mom, and really, just shout out to moms everywhere. After she passed her audition, Pam flew out west to the University of Washington campus, where the college championship was taking place that year. The big day came. From the University of Washington in Seattle, this is the 2000 Jeopardy! College Championship. My first thought, I guess, when we went downstairs the first morning, you know, we're all in our college sweatshirts, was, oh, I'm going to lose to the guy from Harvard, (laughs) which is maybe not the great attitude to to take into your first Jeopardy taping. Um, And as it turned out, I was right. Here are today's contestants from Bowling Green, Ohio, now a junior at George Washington University, John Williams. From Willamette, Illinois, now a junior at Loyola University, Pam Mueller. And from Cincinnati, Ohio, now a sophomore at Harvard University, Jonah Nobler. And now, here is the host. Okay, so the guy from Harvard did beat Pam the first time they faced off, but she got him back in a subsequent game and emerged victorious. The portrait of this living woman was moved from the contemporary section to history. 30 seconds, good luck. Pam, you had 9,000. Did you think of the Queen Mum? You thought of Margaret Thatcher instead, former Prime Minister of Great Britain, and you came up with the correct response. Oh, really? Oh, really, yeah. When Pam went back to school, her friends had only one thing on their minds. When I called them to tell them I won, they were like, Uh, we can buy more nachos, which is like the most college thing they could possibly say. They did indeed buy nachos, but Jeopardy also gave Pam a car. I think mostly just like having the financial cushion enabled me to do things in the next like few years after college that were not maybe as remunerative as some other positions might have been. For the rest of her student days, Pam's Jeopardy experience was what others remembered her for. It became a huge part of who I was on the college campus. You know, it was like, oh, that's the Jeopardy girl, et cetera, et cetera. She really thought that was the end of it. This is a chapter of my life that is closed. This is a really cool souvenir. You know, I will have this forever, and that will remind me of this 
really cool thing I did when I was in college. But as we know, that was just the beginning. She won the 2000 College Championship and is now a graduate student at Princeton University. Here's Pam Mueller. An entering law student originally from Chicago, Illinois, Pam Mueller, who yesterday won $10,000. Yep, you heard that right. Pam has not one, but two graduate degrees, and they're both from Ivy League schools. Not too shabby. She was attending the second one, Harvard Law, when she first heard about O'Brien's, a pub quiz happening nearly 3,000 miles away. A few other Jeopardy alums had reached out to Pam, and they'd asked her to write some of the quiz material. Despite the distance and a full course load, she took on the task. I was sort of enmeshed in this community despite not living there full-time for many, many years, just visiting relatively often. But then I moved to L.A. after grad school in 2015 and, you know, then started going to O'Brien's pretty much every week and being even more a part of the community to the extent that at this point it, it feels really hard to give it up if I wanted to if I wanted to move elsewhere. It's been 23 years since Pam first competed on Jeopardy. And now, standing in the middle of O'Brien's, she reflects back on all of it. I didn't know it was going to be such a big part of my life, but, you know, it's been there for more than half of my life, which is crazy. All those times she was on the show, they amount to just a few days. Memorable days, for sure, but O'Brien's is what has truly lasted. It's become a part of her everyday routine. The regularity of it has created lifelong relationships and good, dependable fun. Pam and a circle of others take turns writing fresh quiz material for every Wednesday night. O'Brien's is like a cooperative. Everyone pitches in in different ways. What do I have on my screen here? I have a spreadsheet with 25 teams. It is a very busy evening at O'Brien's. Tonight, Pam's keeping score, standing behind a table stacked with papers and pens with her laptop fully juiced. I have to write down the scores from the handouts, um, total this all up. People will come up and check their scores because some people are trying to keep us honest. Um, And then I have the pleasure of reading out the scores. Muffy Morocco, 1992 Jeopardy Teen Tournament. Hi, I'm Vumsi. I was on the first episode of the 2012 season when Alex Trebek had just come back from a heart attack. Um, So that was special. And I won that first game. Uh, and then I lost, but uh, it was uh, pretty cool being able to be there, and he got that whole heartfelt uh, welcome back, and that was special. And, and I'm Mark May. I have not been on Jeopardy yet, although I've had multiple auditions, but I was the host at O'Brien's Pub Quiz when the first set of Jeopardy players came to it, had a good time, told other people, and this is what it's grown to since then. The night is young. It's a quarter past eight, and the quiz is about to start. Also, I will tell you there are two questions Standing next to Pam is Patrick Friel, tonight's quiz master. Patrick is a two-time Jeopardy! champion. He's poker-faced and serious in his role. Pam and Patrick definitely write some of the hardest quizzes, and one of the questions that Patrick wrote is my favorite all-time pub quiz question. It is... Name four of the nine countries that have a subway, as in metro, but no subway, as in sandwich shop. In case you're interested, at the time Patrick wrote the quiz, those nine countries were North Korea, Iran, 
Algeria, Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, Armenia, Ukraine, Uzbekistan, and Belarus. We are out of pens, but maybe you can borrow a pen from a team that has extras. Really, only one person needs to write at a time. And in the next couple of minutes, if you would like to play, think of a team name, and then come up here to submit your team name and get a team number. Our team name is um, the Friel Housewives of Santa Monica, playing on our quizmaster's name, Patrick Friel. And we are a team of three, which is puts us a little bit under, we're, we don't have a good chance. So the two friends I'm playing with, they've both been on Jeopardy too. Dan Donahue, a semifinalist in the 2013 college championship. I'm a professional magician, part-time, you know, yeah. And uh, it doesn't have health benefits, but it's still a pretty good gig. And Marty Butterick, a terrific trivia player who was on Jeopardy in 2011. And actually, Marty's doing double duty tonight. We have devices on the table that are open and active, and typically that's not something that happens, but we stream our quiz online along with playing it here. And so I'm doing live scoring for all of the online teams. So it's very helpful to have Dan and Buzzy concentrating on the questions because I'm only halfway here. Next up, get ready. The quiz gets downright hard. Uh, so what are some... Sound and the Fury. Give me, give me some Faulkner titles here. Uh, Absalom. Absalom, yeah. After the break, why O'Brien's? There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. What happens when you gather the world's finest trivia minds and let them loose on a pub quiz? Well, let me walk you through the format of an O'Brien's quiz. It's two rounds total of 15 questions each. In round one, you've got two minutes to answer. In round two, you've got just one minute. And these are not easy questions, thanks in part to this guy. My name is Patrick Friel. We're here at the O'Brien's uh, pub quiz in Santa Monica, and I am hosting tonight. We have like 26 teams or something, and it's a bit hectic. Teams play in groups of up to five. Some of the team names tonight include... Hopefully not last. Alvin and the chip shortages. Nothing, nowhere, none of the time. The Ivy League. Footloose and fancy Freel. Leroy Jenkins. 
the HR violation, and two people drinking. In Greek myth, the Enotrophe, Spermo, Eno, and Elice, were a group of sisters, each of whom could magically produce a different variety of food or drink. My question is, which three items did they produce? A sidereal day is the amount of time it takes for the Earth to rotate on its axis relative to the stars. Because Earth is moving through its orbit, this period is slightly shorter than 24 hours. To the nearest minute, how much shorter than 24 hours is Earth's sidereal day? And since your answer will be a number, please make it crystal clear what is your... The quizmaster is on the mic. His voice is booming out questions into the farthest corners of the bar. The light. Question number 12. Yeah, something like that. The a man dark with the light. given name Joseph, who was an innovator in oh, film comedy. Okay, fine. A That's man with the given name Clarence, Clarence who was an Olympic swimmer and Buster, later Buster, an actor. Buster, Buster, a man with the given name James, who boxed in the 1980s. And another James, an entrepreneur who died earlier this month. What do they all have in common? It's halftime at O'Brien's Pub Quiz. The place is packed. We check in with the teams, see how folks are feeling. How's it going over here at the halftime? Uh, we're in fifth place, which is, you know, pretty good for only three people, I think. I'm really proud of the Glengarry Bob Ross because we figured that one out. We didn't know that previously. These are tough questions. But then we expect that from Patrick, because Patrick's one of the best players here, and he's really good at writing questions, and he's really challenging to us. We got the wrong Irish author, the wrong stream of consciousness Irish author. We put, we put James Joyce. The character answer was uh, Beckett. Big Sam Beckett. Yeah. Disastrous. The questions have to be quite a bit harder than Jeopardy. And I think we've experienced that tonight. I mean, this is typically known as the hardest quiz in the United States. Yeah. O'Brien's draws in a lot of Jeopardy contestants, but it's decidedly not Jeopardy. Here's Pam Mueller again. Jeopardy is very broad and, you know, it can go deep, but O'Brien's, I think, tends to have quirkier questions, things that, you know, you couldn't solve necessarily in, you know, the 10 seconds you have for a Jeopardy question. The types of questions you get at O'Brien's, they're maybe a little more obscure, less general knowledge and more trivia. Here's an example. One of the rounds tonight is called Double Booked. The quiz master mixes together the plots of two different books, and the teams have to come up with the before and after style answer that satisfies that mixed up plot. This one here says, the nihilist Yevgeny Batsarov befriends Paul Morel, who is overly attached to his mother. So the nihilist is from Fathers and Sons by Turgenev, and then Paul Morel is from Sons and Lovers from D.H. Lawrence. So it's Fathers and Sons and Lovers. Unlike Jeopardy, you have a bit more time to mull over your answers. Of course, that comes with a fair amount of self-doubt, too. I officially accept that I am not as smart as I previously thought. But working in teams is always nice. I mean, who doesn't love a group project? Well, the good news is... We got zero. We were 100% wrong. We were 100% we were wrong. We were 100% we were wrong. There's going to be a lot of silence here while I'm thinking. <laughs> Marty is staring a hole in my forehead, and I'm just looking blankly back at him. Here's the thing. This is what winning feels like. Every time I play this quiz, it feels like we, you are failing, especially a Patrick quiz or a Pam quiz. It's just brutal. And then it's like, in third place, 
our team. And it's like, oh, this is what winning feels like. My team, we're pulling our weight well enough for a team of three, but let me remind you, there are some seriously smart people in this room. My name is Dr. Hans Friedrich Daniel von Walter, uh, and I was the second runner-up of the 2010 Jeopardy College Championship. And 13 years later, I can still talk about nothing else. I'm Monia Day, and I'm a health journalist. I was on in 2020. I did get to play with Alex Trebek, uh, which is a great memory. And I was on for one episode. Uh, I'm Brad Rutter. That's B-R-A-D-R-U-T-T-E-R. Occupation is a professional quiz show guy. That's the Brad Rutter, also known as the Buzzsaw. Brad is high up there on the Jeopardy leaderboard with big hitters like Ken Jennings, James Holzhauer, and Amy Schneider. But including all his tournament wins, Brad has actually earned more than anyone else in game show history. Collectively, almost $5 million. My normie friends are always trying to recruit me to be a ringer on their uh, regular pub trivia team because they never win. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I might get recognized. You know, it's like, why does this guy need like a $50 gift card to a bar? Yeah, Brad's a heavyweight champ. And at O'Brien's, he's playing on a team that seems to be garnering quite a reputation already. There's no suspense. We know they're going to win, so it's... Who they are? No, they're the unmentionables. The, the Voldemort table in the corner. No, um, it's... There's a lot of money at that table that they've won. The biggest winner is sitting over there. Yeah, the, the team in the corner with Brad Rutter and Jerome Verrett, um, we, we don't have any illusions of beating that team tonight. More after the break. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We're a new show breaking down the anime and pop culture news you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in, hold on. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) And we agree on some things. But not on everything. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. Listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. We're back. Once again, we're thinking about what the world might look like once we lose, stop using, or just run out of things that feel essential to our existence? What happens when we can't rely on fossil fuels anymore? Is eating meat really all that ethically dubious? How are ads shaping our impulses, and what happens if they go away? So join us as we try to piece together what happens when the things we've taken for granted start to disappear. From Hyperobject Industries and Sony Music Entertainment, listen to Without wherever you get your podcasts. When I started to dig into the history of O'Brien's, I began to wonder, why this bar in Santa Monica? How did it become such a mainstay, a destination for Jeopardy! contestants? Over the years, the place has taken on enough lore that the facts have begun to blur. One thing is for sure, though. Jerome Verrett is one of the very first Jeopardy! contestants to show up at O'Brien's in the early aughts. And like Pam, he's a regular. 
Jerome was born and raised in Los Angeles and has worked in show business as a writer and researcher for other game shows for many years. Let's go back to the dark ages before Google. I was known that if somebody needed a fact quickly, I would get a call. I had a lot of friends who worked on The Simpsons, for example. I would get a call like, you know, once every two months or such and such a thing. Is this true or is this the case or what is this? And I would tell them, it's this, you can check it, but I think it's this. Or I know it's this. And so I would have this reputation like I would be someone to go to. Jerome is a great friend. He's super sharp and he's got stories for days. But he says that as a Jeopardy contestant, he's... Completely underestimated by many people. I think part of it had to do with age, part of it had to do that I'm not that flashy. I don't think I'm as cute as some of the people, male or female, that have been on. While Jerome's not necessarily a household name, he definitely looms large in trivia circles. He's played with the best. He's a character, and if I'm being honest, he deserves his own spin-off podcast series. His connection to Jeopardy starts in the 90s, when he was a film student at USC, working in the student production office. On a slow afternoon, he was paging through a production guide when he came across the number for the Jeopardy contestant department. So I see this number, and I call the number. This woman picks up, she goes, Jeopardy, said, hello, I was interested in becoming a contestant. How do I take the test? And she starts screaming at me, how'd you get this number? How did you get this number? I said, how did I get this number? I'm at USC and it's this number in the production book. Don't ever call this number. Let me give you the number for you to call. Said, okay, and she gives me the number and she hangs up. I said, all right, a little burnt. I uh, take a minute, I pick up the phone, I dial the number, it rings. Same voice, but much sweeter, hello, Jeopardy. Hello, I'm calling to see about being a contestant. And then she told me what I needed to do, that they were testing right then. They were going to test in a few months, so I should call again. But it was the same voice. Despite this faux pas with a former contestant coordinator for the show, Jerome did end up getting the call, and he made his way onto the Jeopardy stage in 1992. This is Jeopardy! Now entering the studio are today's contestants. An analyst from Houston, Texas, Katie DePitz. A writer from Studio City, California, Jerome Ferret. And our returning champion, an advertising executive... Remember, this was when there was still the five-game limit. Jerome was a strong player, and in his fourth game, he set a new record. At the time, it was for the highest cash winnings in one game, $34,000. Takes us to Jerome Ferret, our champion. He had won 47000 going into this game. Will he add to that? He will indeed. Are you going to take us for a bundle? I hope so. You hope so? 9100 That gives you $34,000 for today. A one-day record on Jeopardy! And a four-day total of $81,401. Congratulations to you, Jerome. After his first appearance, Jerome came back for the Tournament of Champions in 1992. Thirteen years after that, he competed in the Ultimate Tournament of Champions. And not long after that, he started going to O'Brien's often. Every two weeks, every week, every third week. And then Brad Rutter moved to town, so let's play. And it started getting more and more. And then this became a thing to do Wednesday nights. Some nights are admittedly more spirited than others. If someone has really horrendous political opinions, you can kick them off your social group. But in a community, it's like Crazy Aunt Gladys, you know? Well, I don't like those people, you know, and the government was right to do such and such a thing. Well, she's still Aunt Gladys, 
And if somebody in O'Brien's is like really crazy politically, well, you don't talk politics with them. But if they're not mean, you will play with them still because that's what a community is. Here's Brad Rutter again. It's a bunch of very smart people, which everybody knows. But it's also just a really warm and inviting and welcoming community. And uh, I'm proud to say that I come here. The night is winding down. I attended a dinner party for eight, myself included. I asked each of the other seven attendees prior to this evening, how many of us did you already know? They gave me seven different answers. So one person said one, one person said two, etc., all the way up to one person who said seven. So here's the question. Prior to the party, how many of them did I know? Buzzy has a phrase when you play with him, which is that he likes to encourage the team by going, this is what winning feels like. And right now, this is what fifth place feels like. Patrick's very last round is really testing my own knowledge as a music executive. So basically what happened is they had ChatGPT uh, interpret the picture and then take that interpretation, put it into another AI, generate a new picture. If that sounds confusing, it kind of is. Imagine putting a phrase into Google Translate into Chinese and then translating that Chinese phrase into Spanish and then trying to figure out what the Spanish phrase is saying back in English. There will certainly be artifacts of what you originally said, but it's not going to come out quite right. This time, we're talking about album covers. Picture a baby paddling underwater in a swimming pool. He's following a dollar bill being pulled on a string. It's the iconic cover of Nirvana's Nevermind, but it looks really off. Like somebody was recreating it from a description rather than the thing itself, and the image doesn't quite come together. This is exactly what happened when our quiz master asked AI to interpret each album cover. Our task is to guess which real album is behind each AI-generated one, but we're out of time, and now they're announcing the answers. Good job, ChatGPT. And justice for all by Metallica. A black and white photograph of a baby swimming underwater with a green dollar bill and a fish, fish hook just above him. Nevermind by Nirvana. Uh, number 13 is the hardest one, partially because only one component of the album got translated in. A photograph of a stylized black and white image of a highway with a car driving on it set against a blue gradient background. A few minutes later, after some tabulating, Pam starts announcing the final scores. Tied for 22nd, or tied for 21st, sorry, with 22 points apiece. Team first date and two people drinking. In 20th place with 24 points, Leroy Jenkins. In 17th place with 27, Saint Maestros. 16th place with 29 points, the Ivy League. Oh, sorry, actually tied for 15th with the HR violation. Despite a lot of predictions, Brad Rutter and Jerome Verrett's team didn't take the night. The winning table is over by the front door and it's packed with Jeopardy champs. There's Alan Lin, my old competitor from the Tournament of Champions in 2017. There's Alan's boyfriend, Cliff Gallagher, winner of the 2007 College Championship and second runner-up in that year's Tournament of Champions, and Marin Edabari, a multi-day winner. Plus, 
the only kid in the place. I'm Ivy. <laughs> That's Ivy Mason, daughter of Maribeth and Richard Mason. My producer is asking her what her connection to Jeopardy is, and Ivy looks puzzled. Um, well, both your parents were on Jeopardy. Wait, you guys were on Jeopardy? <laughs> You didn't know that? We never told you that? No. No, you, you never told me that. You, you never told me that. The Masons are playing on Alan Lin's team as well, which didn't have the same cachet as Brad Rutter's team, but they did it. What would you like to say um, about it? I'll come down to fundamentals, you know, dribbling, passing, just, you know. Strong elbow work on the low post. We got it done. We got it done, yeah. It was a team effort. Cliff and Allen were in the lead the whole time and won. Wire to wire. Their secret weapon. Apparently Allen reads books, which is fantastic, and he knows what those books are called. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love reading. Books are great. (laughs) Read more books. Or listen to books. Or listen. Next time on This is Jeopardy, the story of America's favorite quiz show. My thoughts went from extreme excitement to excitement tinged with fear. This is Jeopardy, the story of America's favorite quiz show, is a production of Sony Music Entertainment and Sony Pictures TV. It's hosted by me, Buzzy Cohen. This episode was produced by Mia Warren, field production by Mia Warren and Sunny Balkin. The series producers are Julia Doyle, Rob Dozier, Sylvie Lubau, and Mia Warren. Associate producers are Serena Chow and Sunny Balkin. Our series editor is Sarah Kramer. Executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs, Tom Koenig, Sarah Kramer, Michael Davies, and Suzanne Preddy. Production management help from Susanya Davenport and Tamika Balance Kolosny. Our theme music was composed by Hannes Brown. Our engineer is Cedric Wilson. Special thanks to Charlie Yetter and Steve Ackerman. Shout out to Alexa Machia. If you love the show, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh. 